Welcome to the Inside Aesthetics Podcast. Our mission is to strip away the myths and hype that often surround the aesthetics industry. Inside Aesthetics aims to get to the bottom of the important topics that concern medical and allied health professionals, as well as the consumers themselves. We'll be showcasing the thoughts and experiences of experts in their respective fields. Each podcast will focus on a specialty, including surgery, non-surgical procedures, nutrition, well-being, and business knowledge from the personalities that have helped shape our industry. This podcast and its related publications provide news and general educational information about cosmetic procedures and well-being. It does not promote or endorse any cosmetic procedure, brand, or product. You should seek professional medical assessment before considering any treatment. In today's episode, we welcome Dr. Kath Porter, a Sydney-based cosmetic physician with over 20 years experience in the industry. Dr. Kath is a key opinion leader and trainer for several of the pharmaceutical aesthetic brands and consults from All Saints Clinic. In our first injectable-specific podcast, we focus our attention to facial aesthetics and anti-wrinkle injections. We'll explore how the treatments have evolved since their launch, dosing, treatment areas, on versus off-label indications, and more. Good morning, Catherine. Good morning, Jake. <laughs> How are you today? I'm very well. She said she wanted to be called Dr. Kath. <laughs> Dr. Kath, formalities, okay. Now, Kath, I'm very excited about this episode because, well, firstly, because you're here. Thank you. And we've become good friends hey, over I'm the last... Here. I'm here too. Well, well, I haven't seen you in a week and a half. Yeah, that is forgotten. quite exciting, I guess. <laughs> um, but also, this is our first injectable-specific episode. That gets me quite excited. Yeah, yay. So, woo. I'm just a bit disappointed we didn't hit record about 15 minutes ago when we yeah. went down this journey of talking about everything from psychedelics through to <laughs> social yeah, well, media. And it's we a just topic all for the another day. Topic yeah, for another day. We'll get day. Kath on yeah. to talk about the world in general. I think she's full of knowledge. Yeah, and, and interesting insights. Yeah. So, um, Kath, why don't you sort of give us a bit of a background to you know who you are and, and how you came to be in the cosmetic industry, as it were? Yeah, sure. Well... Um, Look, I've been in the industry for ages, you know, for 20 years plus, which kind of makes me a bit of a dinosaur, really. (laughs) Um, And I often say to people, look, I'm a failed dermatologist. I was sort of going down that pathway um, and, you know, dropped out of that and was working with a cosmetic dermatologist Mm. um, who was probably one of the first cosmetic dermatologists in Sydney anyway to kind of really move forward with cosmetic stuff. So he was a great mentor as far as lasers and and that sort of thing. Um, And um, he he used to take us to a – he used to take us to a a conference actually, you know, once a year – and my first actual introduction to um, injectables, you know, in particular with the the anti-wrinkle treatment was, yeah. you know, attending this conference, going to a workshop with respect to anti-wrinkle treatment and the guy up the front just going... Would anyone in the, you know, any, can I have volunteers from, can I have volunteers Guinea from pig. the audience, yeah. you know, to come down and, you know, have the injection? And, so you it's know. a bit like a magic trick. So, yeah, I put my hand up and went, yeah, yeah, me, me, pick me. But I'm feeling a little bit nervous at the same time. You know, my heart was racing and whatnot. And I go down the front and just sit in a chair, like just a conference chair, basically, <laughs> yeah. sign some sort of disclaimer <laughs> 
and then got injected with the toxin into right. my glabella, into my crow's feet and my forehead. Yeah. And so that was my first experience of having injectables. What year was that? Myself. That would have been in the early 90s. Okay, that's quite so a while ago. So probably would have been in like 95, 90, something like that. So that's probably one of the first injections in Australia. Well, it was actually in the States. Oh, sorry. So it was, in Lo- it was in Los Angeles. So we were doing the full kind of cosmetic conference in Beverly Hills. And wow. um, yeah, look, it, it, and so, you know, I'm going up to my hotel room <laughs> every night and looking, going, can I see anything? Can I see any change? Um, and uh, then, you know, when I got back to, when I got back to Sydney and, you know, it started to kick in. I was just going, oh, my God, this is a revelation. You know, I had no crow's feet um, and I felt like I had wrinkles around my eyes from like the age of 15, mm. you know, just in the, the way I smiled. So it was just like, oh, my God, this is a miracle. I need to do this. I need to do this. And it, it's like, you know, I'm there going to gym Look at this! Look at this! Look! 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 I've got nothing. I'm yeah. completely smooth. Yeah. I was probably, you know, I was probably about 28 at the time. People so didn't have anything anyway. I was, uh, <laughs> I was pretty good anyway. But um, uh, yeah. So you know, I was saying to him, "Look, we've. I, I really want to go with this." He goes, "Yeah, yeah, fine. You know, you go with it. Do whatever." Yeah. Um, and I must say, you know, look, it was kind of the. It was the era of cowboys around that time because really we hadn't been taught properly about the anatomy or we were just kind of flying by the seat of our pants, mm. you know, and just basically injecting where we could see the pull on the skin. Um, and that's been a massive change, I think, in, in the industry is that the um, the education is so much more sophisticated and yeah. we understand so much more about what we're what we're doing, which is great. But look, that was a, it was a great experience. I, I, you know, I can't imagine that happening at a conference these days. There'd be a whole stack of (laughs) medico legal, um, implications and and things, but, uh, yeah, you know, like it's all very organized, you know, you're not just getting volunteers from the audience to say, pick me, pick me. I, I, I'd love to have a go. Yeah. So that was early nineties. You came back to Australia late 20s you were, and then you sort of dedicated full-time into injectables? Not really. I've I've sort of gradually built up my time um, over the years. So I've I've been full-time for probably the last 15 years in uh, cosmetic, but um, I was still doing a little bit of medical stuff in the the beginning. I used to do house calls to hotels and... Um, I used to do IV sedation as well. So I've done a, a few different things mm. while I was working towards being full-time in cosmetic. I had a little bit of a hiccup along the way where, you know, it, it looked like there was going to be a whole lot of legislation. This was way back um, in the late 90s. And I, I really felt at the time that, um, you know, perhaps... I wasn't going to be able to do this right. unless I was a specialist, okay. unless I was a dermatologist, yes. unless I was a plastic surgeon because... And that's the case in some countries still. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I actually couldn't have been more wrong um, because, you know, if anything, it's become less regulated in a, in a way. Mm. Um, 
But, um, yeah, so I kind of gradually just worked my way into being able to do it full time. I think it's pretty hard to just sort of quit your medical job and quit your medical or your nursing job and just go full time cosmetic. I think there'll always be a little bit of a transition period. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess there was no, at that time, there was no one for you, no path for you to follow. You were sort of, I guess, a, a bit of a pioneer in terms of the one of the first people or a group of the first people that were doing this. So it's not like you could look to someone else and go, ah, that's that's the career that I want. You sort of just had to figure out as you went along. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the same could be said for the dermatologist who I worked with. Um, There weren't many dermatologists in Sydney who were doing cosmetic laser work at that time. Um, And, you know, he had gone to the States and had mentors over there who were obviously doing a lot more in a surgical sense, um, in a laser sense, uh, in a much different way to dermatologists had um, traditionally done that. So, um, you know, people like him and Greg Goodman in Melbourne, they were the real sort of pioneers yeah. of um, cosmetic medical treatments, I think, I in guess Australia. because of that background and you've sort of said it nicely, that's probably why the regulations are catching up with, you know, the industry. It, it, it sort of found itself. There was no right and wrong. It just happened. That's right. It's sort of just, you know, it was like this plant or this weed that just kind of grew out of, you know, out of control. And I think no one, no one would have perceived that um, it could have developed in in such a way. And um, also, you know, when the pharma companies, you know, they talk about the potential of how many customers there are out there who we're not even reaching, you know, people who are thinking about these things on a day-to-day basis that are taking quite a period of time to, um, uh, you know, to convert into actually having a treatment. And so when you look at the size of that, about the potential, um, you know, I think the industry could actually grow even more. Yeah, 100%. Do you think that's a function of people who are growing up now um, knowing that these treatments are available and they can take proactive steps or preventative measures. And I guess we'll get into that question a little bit later in terms of prevention. But do you think it's a function of generational change where people are growing up with it now, it'll just become part of their of their everyday life? Or? Yeah, I think, I think you're right in saying that. I think there are probably a number of factors associated with that. Um, one is accessibility. Uh, I think prices too have have come down. Um, And, you know, it used to be in the whole cosmetic realm that if you were going to get anything done, you were having a face, you were a wealthy person, you were having a facelift or you were going off to Switzerland to some health farm to have like, I don't know, fetal sheep blood infused into you or, you know, something like, you know, these weird and wonderful things. Um, whereas now it is actually accessible to the general public. Yeah. Uh, I think the other the other um, factor is um, people are willing to talk about it. It's almost like it's just an accepted thing yeah. that once you're of a certain age, you are using anti-wrinkle and dermal filler treatments, you know. you're. It's just... It's part of your maintenance, hair, nails, that's, face. That's right. You know, it has become part of that 
that beauty um, that beauty maintenance. Um, and so I think people people are more educated, um, and the the young ones are certainly getting into it at a much you know, much earlier age, uh, you know, particularly light doses of anti-wrinkle treatment in a preventative way and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, sometimes I do worry about that because we've got uh, these young young people who are actually in the prime of their life. You know, they're, they're in the prime of their physical and reproductive time, you know, all of that stuff. So it's like, they're wanting to change so much about who they are and whatnot. And me, as someone who's in their 50s, mm. I'm going, oh, my God, don't you realise, like, this is the the best looking? Yeah. <laughs> this is the best looking you're ever going to be. You it's... know, you're in your prime now. That, like, embrace it. Yeah. Love it. Appreciate it. You know, because... Uh, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a downhill slope, you know, moving forward after. Yeah, that. I guess the alternative uh, viewpoint to what you just said is that younger people now are quite empowered people. They're quite um, educated about you know all sorts of stuff, including facial aesthetics. And I think middle aged women often look at younger people doing this and wonder why they're doing it because they think well why is a young person trying to be younger because that's their mindset of someone say in their 50s wanting to look younger whereas I think you know our younger clients and you'll probably agree are looking to enhance whether it's you know lip cheek jawline and yeah that can get out of control if if you're not careful but it, it, they're seeking it for different reasons is I, I guess what I'm getting at. Yeah, look, I, I think you're right that they're not necessarily wanting to look younger. They're wanting to um, prevent yeah. the signs of ageing. So they're sort of wanting to jump in earlier yeah. um, and address the signs of ageing as soon as they appear rather than having to do a full correction yeah. later on in life. Yeah. Um, also, they're wanting to beautify themselves. So they're more of that beautification yes. type patient um, and they're wanting to enhance their cheekbones and they're wanting to have fuller lips and um, and sometimes, you know, changing their facial shape to yes. make themselves look, look more beautiful. Um, and, and then you've got the young ones who um, need correction of some description, you know, that they've got a very uh, retruded chin mm. uh, or, you know, they've got a very crooked nose or, um, you know, just stuff like that. Bit of something like that. Yeah, yeah. E exactly, which is sort of, it's not necessarily an ageing sign. It's more, it's just something that they were born born yeah, with. something that's, that's bugged bothered, them. That's bothered and them. And you can get a fix, yeah. Yeah, well, I guess, exactly. Well, I guess it's the social media pressures as well where people can see they get influenced on how people like, you know, Kim Kardashian and yeah. all the Jenners. I don't know who's who, to be honest, but... Um, yeah. There you do. You're watching every night. <laughs> <laughs> He's obsessed. <laughs> um, they get a, a to reinforced over and over again, this is how they should look or this this, 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 this is what's slope. beautiful or this is what's... And this comes down to the conversation we've had with so many other people as well as that... that the, inf the impact that social media and is having on the way people look yeah, and feel. Yeah, because people take so many more photos of themselves mm. and 
with the advent of the smartphone, um, photo photos are being taken all the time. And so um, when people pose for a selfie, they're obviously putting themselves in the best angle, the best light, the way they look the best. Um, but it's often patients will come to me with, say, a photo, and this is middle-aged women as mm. well, with a photo that someone snapped of them when they haven't been... Extremely unflattering. They're just yes, normal. When they're just being normal, yeah. when they haven't been posing. So they've had their chin down or, um, you know, they haven't smiled in the right way or whatnot. And, and let's then, be fair, we've all looked at a photo of ourselves and thought, oh, God. Yeah, exactly. Crap. Go, is that me? Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and, and so it's understandable, yeah. but you're right. At, at mm. what point is it okay to address that concern and what point is it uh, reinforcing those insecurities? That, that's right, yeah. Yeah, I think um, also too... Uh, Look, we do know that people who are more uh, people who are more attractive, they do actually tend to have a more successful life. And you know, this is not just my personal observation. You know, this is stuff that's been shown in psychological studies. Yeah. Um, and you know, when you when a baby a, a baby will hold the gaze of a beautiful face. Uh, symmetrical face for a lot longer you than it like will an unattractive face. What was that? Babies don't like you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's kind of, it's like we, heart, we are hardwired to recognise beauty yeah. because it's part of the primitive part of our brain um, to do with reproduction and health and choosing the right partner and all yes. of that stuff. So, you know, it's a very primitive part of our brain and so we are hardwired to recognise those those things. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, while beauty is certainly not, Everything, yeah. you know, um, attractiveness is a gateway a lot of the time yeah. uh, to enable people to actually find out more about you or yeah. engage with you. It gives you an advantage. I wouldn't say it's, the, right. it's not the be all and end all. People who aren't attractive can still go on and have very successful lives. But if you are attractive, then you do have a head start, I think, yeah. maybe. And, it, and it's like if you're attractive and then... <coughs> You know, you let in and you've got nothing to offer. Yeah, that doesn't help either. <laughs> that doesn't help either. You know, you, you know. yes, you got the door open, yeah. mm. but the door's open and nothing's happening yeah. because, you know, you don't have the other stuff that um, that goes with it. Yeah. We are these weird creatures, aren't we? We're, we're sort of still driven by a lot of these like primal instincts in terms of attractiveness and looking for for mates and certain characteristics that would make someone a good partner, but then highly intelligent in another way. It's just this paradox. <laughs> yeah. It's sort of, it's, it's yeah, very weird that, when you think about it. Combination of sort of the, the, the primal and yeah. the, and the, and the sophistication um, as well. And I, I think, look, the other, the other aspect that I find with, um, with the selfies and um, Instagram as well is that a look that looks good in a photograph uh, in that context often doesn't look good in real life. Mm. You know, that person looks amazing in their photo um, when it when it's posed and whatnot, but when you see them in real life, 
it's very overdone. Uh, and I, I kind of equate that almost to uh, say when you get your makeup done. You boys might not have had that experience, but, um, you know, when you get your makeup done professionally for photographs or anything like that, it's very overdone. Right. Like you look at yourself in the mirror and you go, oh, my God, I look like a drag queen. You know? Yeah, right. But in the photos, you actually look really, really natural. Mm. It's it's like you need to, in order for the makeup to have its effect, it needs to be um, overdone. Yeah. It needs to be ramped up for, for the photos. And whether that's because, you know, the, the lighting and whatnot kind of blunts it out. Um, and and I, I do feel that we're sort of seeing that a little bit with injectables as, as well, that, you know, that very exaggerated appearance um, in real life actually looks quite normal or actually looks quite good in, mm. in the photograph. Right. So people are getting treatments done for photographs more than real life. Well, <laughs> I think of, so. Yeah, I think that, so. That, because that is that's bizarre. A typical client's uh, judgment that that that's what they're judging their result on their photo. Mm. Yeah, Not because right. I wouldn't say it's every client. It, I wouldn't say it's every it's client. A segment. You know, yeah. I think it, it's a it's a minority. Right, yeah. It's a it's definitely a minority. Mm. Um, but that minority do get a lot of oxygen, mm. you know, out there. Yeah. Um, but yes, people are looking looking at themselves a lot more I'll because give you, of the photos. I think this is quite an interesting example. So about two months ago, I did some videos for Elegan, and obviously it was videoed. It wasn't photos. It was video of me talking, and I was shocked at how asymmetrical my face looked on on the video. I could have told you that. Genuinely, I looked like I'd had a stroke. I thought it was just so unbalanced, my face. And yet what I'm getting at is that clients don't ever see themselves animate or talk, really. They're no. just basing what they see as a result in a static photo from quite a good angle normally. And so if they see that static photo and they're happy, they almost don't realise the true reality of what they may look like because they never see themselves see themselves talk or yeah. or kiss or pout or or animate do you know what I mean yes yes and I think that's I think that is kind of a that's a an area that is going to grow in terms of our cosmetic injectable treatments <laughs> is that we will also be looking at not only the effect of our dermal fillers on um, on how they replace volume in the face and change shape but also how they modulate the muscular activity of the face yes. as well. And when we express or are static, it has to look natural in both phases. That's right. And that's why I think it's so important for all of us to have our patients come back in follow-up as well, mm. to see them sit across from you and actually have a conversation with you, yeah. um, to see that they do actually look natural um, and, you know, that they don't have, you know, after they're, anti-wrinkle treatment that, yes, they may look great in their photograph, you know, their before and after photos, but when they're in conversation with you, is there an eyebrow that's shooting up all the time? Yeah. Or when I see them smile, do they look kind of a bit weird? Yes. You know, do they not, do they not have any life in their eyes anymore? You know, it's, um, you know, I think that's a very important point to be really looking at. Um, 
at both the real life uh, animation of the face as well as what you see in those before and after photos. Mm, totally agree. I think that's um, something a lot of uh, new injectors to the industry might struggle with a little bit in terms of understanding how important that consultation process is and setting the right expectation for the patient to say, hey, look, this is your first treatment. I would like to see you in two weeks. We may need to dose adjust. I don't. You're getting to know their face. And it's it's That's not right. some, it's not an exact science like insulin. You, you know you don't get the the right do- <laughs> the right dose straight away. There is a, yeah. a process where you're getting to know their face, their what aesthetic works exactly. for them, and everyone's going to be a bit different. So I think that both patients and patients need to understand, and probably some injectors, particularly ones that are new, understanding how important that phase of the, it's not just doing the treatment. It's really the education and setting the right expectations. Yeah, and I I also think that it's a great. Um, Doing those, doing the follow up is really important to critique your own work. Mm. That's the other thing, Um, because sometimes what the patient thinks is a great result, you're sitting across from them going, "Oh my god, I've made them look a bit weird," but you you know you might not be letting on if the client doesn't. If the client show dissatisfaction, if if the client is really happy, but. Yeah, you know, always in life, you know, as we move forward, we we have to self-reflect on what we're doing. And so um, I think that follow-up um, process is really important for self-reflection as, a, as an injector, but also um, to have another touch point mm-hmm. with your client to actually build that relationship yeah. because the building of the relationship and the working together, um, you know, around, you know, ex aligning the expectations Mm. of patient and injector, um, you know, the more times you get to see the patient, Mm. the more cemented that relationship becomes. Um, And it's much more satisfying to be treating people on an ongoing basis than it is to be seeing a brand new client all the time because once you have that rapport, once you have the rapport and the trust, then... um, it makes it a, a lot more. It makes it a lot easier yeah. to be able to actually do the treatments that you would like to do yeah. with the the patient. And that seems to be a bit of a. Um, I keep hearing this this message from people like yourself and people like Penny Timberlake, who we had on as well. Um, is that relationship, and again, potentially overlooked by a lot of people, is the, not just performing the treatment, but the experience you give that client, the relationship that you build, how they feel when they're with you, how you make them feel about themselves is like that X factor that tends to be the the, the, f- the factor that makes someone a good injector to someone that's like, oh, my God, you have to go and see this person. This, this You know, they, they yeah. become like a part of your life almost. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think if you, um, you know, if you want high repeat rates on mm. your, um, with your injecting, then that is what you have to create in some way. Um, and I think... Uh, Authenticity is another big element to that, that, um, you know, if you are authentically engaged in wanting to make your patient look better or be the best that they can be so that they have the confidence to get out of life exactly what it is that they want, then if you're coming from that place in your heart, then you will always be able to do what what you want with the patient, um, and they will be 
on that journey with you, uh, you know, as a partner rather. And I think, I think too, some new injectors, it's like they're looking at the face and they're adding up the units and they're adding and the dollars. Like a transaction. Yes. It's, it's not- like the dollar signs are flashing in the eyes about, well, how many units can I get in this person and how much is, am I going to bill? Mm. And it's like, yes, all of that is important from a business perspective. But sometimes when you take your eye off that prize, then the other stuff just, hap- you know, it happens organic. It happens organically. Mm. You know, if you always have your patient's best interest at heart um, and have uh, beauty and being the best that you can be for your age, mm. um, if you have that in your core values as, as you were treating, um, then I think the other stuff just comes. Yeah. Yeah. It's that passion, isn't it? You have to really love what you do. People will yeah, feel that. Exactly. You're not chasing the dollar, you're chasing being good and being successful and doing something that you love. Exactly. And look, you know, we see this in work, in introductory workshops and things. Jake will have noticed it as well. Um, that you kind of <clears throat> get, you just go, this person is not this person is not going to succeed in this mm-hmm. because um, Especially it's, now it's so competitive. It's a transactional thing for them. You know, they're thinking like this is a good, quick, easy way of um, adding some extra revenue to my practice or whatnot. But it's like if you're just doing it for that reason, if you don't have passion about about beauty and anti-aging and all of those things, um, then I think you're – it doesn't necessarily mean you won't succeed, but I don't think you're going to succeed at a really high – you're not going to succeed at a really high level. Yeah. You're only, you're only going to tap into a very specific type of client rather than be popular to and, and appealing to everyone. That's right. Yeah. 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 And also your longevity in the career because you are going to have tough days. You are going to have quiet periods. You are going to have disasters where your patient gets an awful complication or you've screwed something up. And it's, I think, if you're not in it for the right reasons and you're not passionate, you won't you won't make it through. You'll, you'll give up and, and go and do something else. You have to love it, I think, That's to right. be able to get through the tough times. That's right. And I, I think I think a lot of people do drop out. Mm. You know, they, they kind of start and then they drop out because they go, oh, there's this is actually... harder than I thought. Yeah, there's <laughs> actually more to this. There's it's actually, a specialty and I think there's people actually more to this. don't see it that way. They see it as injecting. Yeah. It, it's an art, it's a specialty, it's a, it's a branch of medicine that admittedly is still evolving. But like you said, gone are the days where people plucked and, and taken on stage it, it's it's medicine now yeah 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 it, it, exactly and it kind of fits that med- it fits the medical model um and also to uh uh you have to be a good communicator i think as well like if if you're really going to be one of those x factor injectors as you just so well i can't really describe um then you are you. You have to be a good communicator. Yeah. Um, if you're not a good communicator, you you won't get to that. You won't get to that level because it's the communication that it actually then enables you to. It's the communication and the education of the patient that will actually then enable you to take what you're doing in your injecting career to the next level. Yeah. So to do the much more advanced things and the more full face rejuvenation yeah. um, 
and those much larger treatments. Totally agree. Now we're going to get into we the get meat to topic. of the topic. <laughs> that was a after great half intro. an hour. No, no <laughs> we're, we're happy to talk for as long as we need to. Now, this is a slight disclaimer, but it's also useful for, I guess, the listener who may not even be in Australia to understand why we talk in certain ways about anti-wrinkle treatments. So in Australia, we've got three main brands of anti-wrinkle treatment. And we're by law, as you well know, not allowed to talk about specific brands, names, products. So we're almost forced to speak in a bit of a funny code, hence why we call it anti-wrinkle treatments in Australia. And that's how we advertise it. Um, so we're not going to plug any particular brands in this talk. We're just going to talk very generically about, you know, anti-wrinkle treatment. Um, so what exactly is an anti-wrinkle treatment? Go. Well, <laughs> well, well, that's big. But an anti-wrinkle treatment um, is basically an injectable treatment that will ultimately result in the relaxation of the muscles of facial expression. Okay. So it's basically stopping the signal getting from the nerve over to the muscle cell. Yes. Um, and in the face, the muscles have attachments through to the skin. Mm-hmm. Um, hence we have facial expression when, when those muscles move. So um, by using the anti-wrinkle injections to relax those, um, we stop the muscles pulling on the skin, so we stop the formation of wrinkles. Yeah. Um, but also you, you can use anti-wrinkle treatments for non-wrinkle treatments as And this is as where well. it gets confusing for people because of how we advertise it in Australia. That's right. So you're alluding to, well, you, you go through the list, but there's loads. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we call it anti-wrinkle treatment, but, you know, we can shape the face um, by treating the, the chewing muscles, the masseter muscle. We can um, make the skin quality look better by um, just injecting micro doses throughout the, the dermis. We yeah. can stop people sweating. Yes. Um, and, and there's a whole lot of medical uses that we can use it for as well. Yeah. Um, you know, as we were discussing last night, you know, it's most useful drug on the planet. We can use it from the eyes to the anus, you know. (laughs) Like there's no other drug out there that can be used in every single uh, organ system in the body. Um, And it is kind of crazy that we can't even use the generic name because how do we educate the general public on, you know, what we're using and the reasons that we might make a bit also, even with respect to brands, you know, why we make might might make a particular choice. Yeah. Um, you know, there are technical there are technical differences between some of the drugs, yes. and um, and you know, it, it's hard to educate people properly without being able to use uh, even the generic, you know, even the generic name. Yeah, I totally agree. It's just a, a like a. A catch-up thing. It seems like the regulation is there to try and protect people, but in some ways it might be doing them a disservice by not being able to, as you said, properly educate. Yeah, I think it's actually doing the general public a <coughs> disservice. Um, look, I think there's a whole lot of stuff around uh, regulation and advertising of cosmetic treatments that uh, you know we're we're not we we as cosmetic practitioners should not be seen to be 
inducing people or trying to influence people to have cosmetic treatments as well. Um, so, you know, there's a whole there's a whole lot of stuff around that, around, um, you know, advertising and... Do you think it'll correct itself at some point? Look, I think... I don't know it's about crazy, that. crazy because you can advertise alcohol, so I'm confused. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, they advertise alcohol. I mean, they've stopped advertising cigarettes, but... Um, yeah, there's lots of stuff out there that that um, that a bit gets, of hypocrisy out there in 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 the yeah, and I th- I think too it, it's like well, um, we've become such a nanny state around so many things yeah. that if um, you, you know I well I would find it very unusual for someone to. Uh, be lured in to have a treatment just by something that you'd said on a website or whatnot. You know, it's the like truth. it's like people um, people make their own decisions. Yeah. That that's the thing. You know, people are uh, autonomous humans. You know, yeah. they can they can make their own decisions about what they would like to to do and and what they like to be influenced by. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't think we need the government to tell people. Um, you know how how to live their life and how and how to behave, um, but I suppose it is to protect the general public from unscrupulous operators, perhaps. Yeah. I mean, we um, we've interviewed Rayleigh from Dr. Shahidi's yeah. um, practice, and she was saying she went to the states, and it's completely opposite. That there's almost a, an aggressive push to force the public deliberately down the wrong way by you know, spinning them all sorts of stories and and throwing brand names in their face. So you can sort of yeah. try and find that balanced argument. Yeah, I think. It, yeah. yeah the, well, the, the states, it's kind of it's a free for all. It is the advertisement crazy. of yeah. drugs. I mean, you watch television, commercial television in in the states, and it's like, yeah, you know, there's there's so many ads. I mean, there's ads for antidepressants <laughs> and antipsychotics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> This is antipsychotics. You, you may die. You may feel like killing someone. You <laughs> reading all these disclaimers. I, I know. It's it's you so know you the, can understand it's it. quite yeah. well. I think there's like a halfway sensible point where you know it becomes you don't want to end up like the states where it becomes this free for all madness where people are getting stuff pushed down their throat and it's just everywhere yeah. you go. But at the same time, being stopping people from me being able to educate. Um, their potential clients or the, or the consumers' issues yeah. because, I mean, you've got the other end of the spectrum, which is that there's so many products out there. I mean, we obviously can't talk about specifics here, but, you know, talking about toxins where we've got like, you know, th- th- three or four of them on the market, you've got different dermal fillers and different ranges within those. So when people are doing uh, a researching and trying to work out what works for them, it makes it you very can't. very confusing. You can't. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. it it does, and it, and it, it's like too when um, when a pharmaceutical <coughs> product is launched on the market, you know, when they have a new product, they have one opportunity where they can use the brand name yep. and talk to um, both consumers and media and that sort of thing. They have one opportunity to do that as it's released, oh. and then that's it. 
once that launch is done, mm. they can no longer use the, the, the brand cherry. name. You and I went to one recently and I was like, wow, they're saying its name and it's actually written <laughs> on the wall and, and no one's yeah. scared. It was quite yeah. weird So it's a big thing. It's a big thing for them to be able to to um, do that. Yeah. And, um, and you know, all of us taking photos <coughs> in front of all of the stuff, yeah. you know, it's probably great for them as well yeah. because, yeah. you know, it gets out on social media and whatnot and yet it was a, a legal thing that could be done. Yeah, absolutely. Um, on that day. So to get us back onto the topic. Yes. So many people, uh, presumably new clients or the, or the general public who haven't done an anti-wrinkle treatment want to know, what is it? Where, where is it from? How do you get it? How's it made? Well, you know, I mean, was it? It was originally discovered by accident. Well, not accident. Was it used for therapeutic medicine for spasticity and lazy eye and cerebral palsy? Is that? And then it yeah. was later. Yeah, it's gone, actually, oh, we can use this to make people look better. <laughs> it's actually a great story about how it came to be used in a cosmetic sense because um, an oculoplastic surgeon from Canada, from uh, I think she's in. Vancouver, mm. um, Jean Carruthers, Jean Carruthers. Yeah. Uh, she was treating um, blepharospasm or twitchy eyelids with, botul- with uh, botulinum toxin in a therapeutic sense. Um, and uh, like you were saying about it being used to treat spasticity and stuff to so to use it to relax those twitchy muscles in the in the eyelid um she was using it quite uh quite a lot and what she was noticing is that her patients were coming back and going oh yeah yeah the twitchy eyelid that's gone but look at this I have no wrinkles on this side. Look, can you do it on the other side too? Because, you know, I've got wrinkles over there and I don't have wrinkles here. And she started putting two and two together that going, wow, we could be onto something here. And her husband happened to be a dermatologist. So obviously the two of them got together and started looking at this um, and started producing some research papers, re-same, and it's... Just blew up created the muscle relaxant industry that we have today and really um, for most cosmetic practices, even surgical practices, it's the cornerstone of all cosmetic practice because it's the easiest and most simple cosmetic treatment that people can do Mm. um, with no downtime, truly is a lunchtime procedure and the impact is amazing yeah um like my miracle result that i had all those years ago um and the clinical research backs it up too that people feel less tired younger and more attractive after having muscle relaxant treatments and this comes up time and time again Imagine being those Carruthers people and like having that that first patient and having that well, like that, that moment where they've gone that, oh uh-huh. and knowing yeah. that that was going to be the moment that changed almost the world forever. <laughs> it's yeah. crazy. You think yeah, about it. it is, and it's a worldwide phenomenon. And what what was the what was the number of uh, so vials of one particular brand that 100 you had? Million they've gone through this year, I think. Hundred. Hundred million. Gosh, yeah, was it? It's huge. I think it was someone was telling me that the there's a, a special there's like a small amount of this 
bacteria that's produced that can tra- like fit like in, I don't know, like a matchbox or something that yeah. produces all of the botulinum toxin for the whole world for a year Correct. or something and yeah, it travels on some secret plane. <laughs> It's tiny. It's it's like well, you know, your question was about well, where's it from and 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 what does it do and whatnot. So we've covered kind of what it does, um, but it's basically a purified protein that's produced by a bacteria, yeah. by the bacteria Clostridium, Clostridium botulinum. And I think that's what scares people. They're like, what? You're using something from a bacteria. In my face. Is that like a similar concept to say, like penicillin? Exactly. Uh, Sim- you know, yes. Which exactly. is the antibiotic revolution that changed the world. And this is what I tell exactly. clients it's a medicine. Yeah, right. Yeah. And there's no, you know, there's no bacterial content yeah. um, in the product uh, because it is just the actual toxin that's produced by the bacteria. And People worry about botulism and, you know, am I going to get sick and blah, blah, blah. It's just like, am I going to die? Look, I've had. Botulism is a completely different thing. You have that? actually ingested the bacteria. The bacteria has got into your system and the bacteria then starts multiplying and producing thousands, millions of units of the toxin, which is why your body becomes paralysed yes. in... Uh, so this was discovered in, I think, the mid-1800s in sausages mm-hmm. where, yeah. you know, they're infected, however, and people died of eating these sausages because they got botulism. Yeah, and they so that's got how their it was bot- first found. Because or, or if you discovered. have large amounts into your uh, body, it's obviously going to um, paralyse all muscle. So, you know, it could potentially, you know, paralyse your heart, paralyse your diaphragm, paralyse everything to Gosh. stop you, you know, and, and yes, people can survive botulism by basically being put in what was then an iron lung. Yeah. And um, waiting for it to wear off. Waiting for it to wear off. Wow. But that's Three completely or four different. Just but that is completely different okay. because that's actually involved with the ingestion of bacteria from bad food. Right. So it's like you've got your own little matchbox of that bacteria in your body making huge amounts of botulinum toxin. okay. Whereas when it's made by the pharmaceutical companies, and we don't know, I don't know all the ins and outs of how it's made because these are obviously proprietary. um, Secret herbs and spices. Yeah, exactly. KFC. Yeah. (laughs) The Colonel. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so it's um, the Colonel of Allegan (laughs) or the Colonel of someone uh, (laughs) is, you know, has the the secret recipe. But um, basically that it's... um, you know, produced under very controlled circumstances. And, um, you know, we've heard this story too, you know, with one of the brands of the uh, base culture being flown from California to Ireland where it was getting made in the the facility there, you know, in a private jet. Yeah, under Air Force One. Under, <laughs> under armed guard, like in a briefcase with the handcuff on and, yeah, and all of that, um, you know, so that it's delivered under these secure conditions because... Yeah, you could poison you know, the whole world if it wasn't, yeah. Yeah, I suppose, you know, it could be potentially a biosecurity threat and, you know, people worry about... Um, 
you know, some of the medical effects of um, of the the toxin, and we we've sort of discussed how it's different between ingesting the bacteria and actually having having the the, the toxin available. Yeah. But um, you know, it, it's like what do they say? A, a kilogram of the bacteria or something would be enough to kill the whole world, or yeah. you know, some amazing stat like that. Um, and you know, look. The reality of it is, uh, you know, the the doses of the actual purified protein that we're using in cosmetic treatments, it's it's tiny, mm. and it's tiny compared to therapeutic treatments as well. Yeah, because there are those two arms to muscle relaxant treatments. You've got therapeutic, you've got the therapeutic, which is high, which really is really high, high compared to cosmetic, very high dose. Yeah. Um, and then you've got cosmetic. Is it mine? Is it is it correct? I read somewhere that. Once you have the product injected, it's actually out of your bloodstream within 24 hours, but it's the results that last that That's two to three right. month period. So yes. it's actually flushed out pretty quick. Yes. Okay. Yes. So it's not sitting there circulating around. Um, and as your um, as your muscles recover their strength, you're actually getting sprouting of some new nerve endings right. to overtake some of the function of the affected nerve ending. But over that three to four month period, the affected nerve ending actually um, recovers completely and then the little sprouts retract. So they take themselves away once that nerve ending is working and functional again. I didn't know this either, but... I was asking someone the question and they gave me a clinical paper, a scientific paper, yeah. uh, you know, where they've looked at this with the electron microscope and that's what happens, which I thought, wow, that's, that's cool. amazing. Like how cool is the human body? You know, the capabilities are incredible. Mm. So just to, I guess, orientate someone who may has never had an anti-wrinkle treatment, what are the main parts of the face that we're talking about and why, why those parts of the face? Look, we can really treat all areas of the face. Um, there are obviously some areas that are on label with the, the drugs that what we have that available. Mean? So on label means that they've been approved for use in that particular area. Okay. So okay, so the approved areas would be the frown, uh, the horizontal forehead lines yeah. um, and the crow's feet. Okay. They're the, they're the main approved indications. So I think what confuses a lot of people is if that's approved, yeah. how come you can still do it in non-approved areas? So we will often use drugs in an off-label, what we call off-label sense. Okay. Um, and not just ha- cosmetic drugs either. You can do uh, this for yes. any drug. Okay. That's right. Yep. And not just cosmetic drugs. It can be other drugs as well. Mm-hmm. So um, really I suppose um, it's <laughs> the onus is on us as the practitioner to just explain that to the patient that, look, we're using it in an off-label way but it's, perfectly accepted. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, with cosmetic treatments, when we were first doing them, they were all off-label yep. yes. because it didn't have approval. Um, like the Carruthers using it around the eyes when it was not that, for that. So how could anyone right. teach you if it's not approved? That would be tough, wouldn't it? So chicken or the egg type scenario. Exactly, which is maybe why we had no training yeah. <laughs> uh, when, we fir- when we first started. But, um, uh, yeah, so... 
gradually, it, it takes a while for uh, there are many hoops that a pharmaceutical company has to go through yes. in order. And it's expensive. Yes, in order for um, the FDA in the States or the TGA here in Australia to actually give them the tick for that particular procedure. So they're always adding indications um, over time and there, there are potentially some new indications going to be brought on board, you know, fairly fairly soon. Um, but it's because we're using it off-label doesn't mean that it's not safe. Yeah. It, it is it is safe and it's accepted it's accepted practice. We're yeah. not doing anything yeah. out of the box when we're we're doing this. That so, term off label just sounds a bit scary, doesn't it? It's probably could yeah. probably could think of a better term than off label. Sounds like you're doing something dodgy well, or special. It sounds use. like you've it special sounds use. like you've just got it out of someone's yeah. garage. Yeah, yeah. You know, like yeah. some backdoor kind of deal. So yeah. give us an example of an off label treatment. So, um, an off label treatment would be to treat the masseter. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, the biting muscle, the like biting muscle for yeah. either functionally for either grinding of the teeth or cosmetically to improve facial shape. Mm-hmm. Um, treating the uh, platysmal bands in the neck, so they're those sort of uh, bands that when you kind of make the e sound kind in of the a neck, grimace face, the you grimace see those face, that you can strings. see those streaky lines in the neck. So that would be another off label. Um, indication, um, all really, all the lower face stuff is off label. So, cause we can use it around the mouth to, uh, help prevent smokers lines. We can use it to stop the downturn of the corner of the mouth as yeah. well. Um, we can use it to stop uh, having a, a dimply or overactive chin muscle mm. as well. Um, so all of those indications are really off-label. Yeah. All the on-label indications are upper, uh, upper face. Yeah. So as we said, frown, crow's feet, horizontal forehead lines. Yeah. And the common theme was they're all muscles. So it's doing the same thing in different parts of the face. That's right. They're all, they're all muscles uh, with connections through in the exception of the ma- of the masseter muscle or the chewing muscle, they all have uh, anatomic connections through to the skin. So they can all pull on the skin. Yes. And that repetitive pull on the skin over time is what gives you the wrinkle. Now, can I just ask a couple of quick questions and maybe you can correct me where I'm wrong with some of my assumptions because I'm trying to come at it from a patient perspective. Um in terms of sweating, so I know you can use it for sweating. That's another off-label treatment. So I think it's called hyper, hyperhidrosis. Mm-hmm. They put it under Correct. the arms. Now, does that work because it's impacting the little muscles that push the sweat out of your body or is this a completely different, just weird way that it, it uh, does that? Yeah, look, I think we're not 100% <clears throat> sure on exactly what right. the mechanism of action is. Okay. But the proposed mechanism of action is, as you've described, yeah. uh, that it may have an effect on some of the smooth muscle as opposed to striated muscle, muscle within the gland. Right. Um, and But it may have an effect on the gland in another way right. as okay. well. So we're still uh, figuring it out. That's right. Because, you know, it, it's like it's used for migraine as well. Yeah. And uh, we know that migraine is a vasospastic phenomenon really it's yeah. you know cons- constriction and then massive vasodilation of the vessels in the brain mm. so how can injections into the muscles in the scalp and 
scalp and forehead and back of the neck and whatnot, how can that possibly affect that whole process of migraine? Yet it obviously does. So there's probably something more complex going on and I think there are proposed theories about Mm. substance P and other the effect of other neurotransmitters and Mm. things as well. So, you know, perhaps the sweating... um, the sweating story is is similar to that, okay. um, but look, we know that it definitely it definitely works for sweating. And actually, I think it is an on label. Oh, it is now, is it? Okay. I think it is it's an on label. Particularly, on f- you know, I think uh, in Australia, you could um, get a, a rebate if you went to an approved dermatologist right. who's allowed yeah. to do that. Yeah, there's a certain subset of dermatologists who can give you the treatment um, subsidised by by the government as well. Um, and it works really, really effectively. And, yeah, I've had it done. Um, it's, it's great, especially in summer when you're wearing shirts. Yeah. And, yeah. and just yeah. to sort of qualify, it's not just underarms. It could you be do it. scalp, uh, chest, back. I mean, hands, it's more unusual, but you palms, yeah. soles yeah. of the feet. Yeah. It's a lot yeah. more painful to yeah, have it injected in the palms or, or the feet. But yeah. um and I personally have not done a lot of that over mm. um, lots of underarms, but yeah. not so many um, palms and feet. Now, we also understand that the, the treatment itself, as we said, the product's out of your bloodstream within 24, hour, 24 hours. Yeah. The results last, on average, what, two to three months. Two to four. Two to four months. Now, I've yeah. read somewhere, and correct me, because I've got the two doctors here, tell me if I'm wrong, <laughs> um, that it tends to last for different seg- amounts of time depending on the size of the muscle that you put it in. So, for example, if you were to inject it in the masseters as opposed to, say, the crow's feet, the masseter muscle results are going to last longer. And is that because the amount of times you fire that, is it the neuron, to try and move that muscle is less there for the pathway I'm yeah, going to pass this one to Kath. Oh, okay. I, I, was, I read it <laughs> or I heard about it a long time ago Look, and I was I never think, sure of the validity um, of it. I think some of <laughs> it, I think it, it's that's it's quite a complex, it, it's quite complex, yeah. I think, as to the differences for the different areas. Um, but I think a lot of it is dose-related. I agree. Right. Okay, so the higher the dose, generally the greater the longevity. Right. And say for somewhere like the chewing muscle, Mm. um, we are putting a high dose in there and we are generally paralysing that to full paralysis almost. Um, And I think we find that with the frown area as well, Mm. that uh, the muscles that we're injecting um, in the frown area are much smaller and much more compact. But we're putting a reasonably high dose into theirs compared to, say, somewhere like the upper forehead where you have a thinner, less strong muscle that is spread over a much larger surface area. So, uh, and when we treat the frown, we often treat it to full paralysis, um, which means that you kind of train, it's like you sort of train yourself a little bit out of doing the frowning um, and it takes longer for it to to recover. Mm. When we treat other areas like the crow's feet or the frontalis muscle, which creates the horizontal forehead lines, we're not treating that whole muscle complex, we're only treating a small proportion of it. The strongest uh, parts creating the most movement. That's right. And we're, we're leaving little bits of untreated muscle yeah. 
in between those injection points. And so those untreated areas of muscle start to take over some of the function of the treated areas. Ah, okay. So that, that leads me to That's another question, right. which is, is that why sometimes you get people that have had a treatment and they go, oh, this is now here because they're now recruiting different muscles That's and it right. changes the way they express themselves. So in that situation, do you come back and hit that muscle or is it just you treat often, it differently next time or...? Some, it could be either or. You might treat it differently the next time or you may treat the muscles that have been recruited. Um, and I think the, the classic recruitment thing is the, the bunny lines. Yeah. So they've had their frown treated and their crow's feet treated and it's like in order to try and make that sort of expression around the eyes, it's like they screw their nose up yeah, like right. a bunny um, because that's the only thing that's, kind of working around in that zone. And I think the other thing about crow's feet in terms of the crow's feet uh, injections um, not seem to have the same longevity um, as perhaps the frown is because you've got this round sphincter muscle and that extends all the way to the lash line. And so, of course, if you screw your eyes up tightly enough, you're going to be able to pull the skin in and create the wrinkle, even though if you just had a normal, regular smile, you'd actually be quite smooth in in the lateral crow's feet. That's a good point. you'll, You'll often get clients who've got a nice result and they'll come in and they'll squeeze as hard as they can, very unnaturally, and say, look, yeah. I've still got one line. And you yeah, say, you well, go, do you sure, <laughs> do, do you normally do walk that? around like that? Or? And do you want to be able to close your eyes? <laughs> yeah. And do you want to be able to blink? Like yeah. I can get rid of all of that for you, but you'll end up with dry eyes and you'll be an ophthalmologist <laughs> like nightmare. A zombie, because, yeah. <laughs> because, you know, the, mus- the sphincter muscle for around the eyes is also responsible for us being able to close our eyes tightly. Yeah. And also being able to blink. Mm. So, um, you know, you, you have to kind of think about the functionality yeah. as well. Yeah, but that's important for clients to understand, I think. You know, we're not aiming for full anything. It, yeah. It's a it's moderated a softening. It's a softening. softening. And, I, and I think too, you know, we've really changed the way we use our botulinum toxin as well um, that um, – People generally want much more natural-looking results, yeah. um, and they want to have they want to have their lines softened, but they want to have some facial expression. Yeah. Um, and so we use sort of we can use lighter than recommended doses mm. in certain areas in order to achieve that, um, or what we call a sprinkling of the muscle relaxant over a number of different areas um, just to create that sort of refreshed holiday sort of look about the face. Um, Why do you think when we first started doing this, we, you know, we literally froze people? (laughs) Because that was what, that was what the end game was. You know, that was. No wrinkle equals young. Sorry? No wrinkle equals young, therefore yeah, freeze. Yeah, and also <laughs> um, the sign of an effective treatment was that you couldn't move those muscles. Mm. So um, complete paralysis was actually the desired result. Yes. You know, that 
resulted in us having a successful treatment. And I remember one patient actually in my early days of injecting who I got this most amazing result on her upper forehead lines. All those horizontal forehead lines were gone. And I'm just going, oh, my God, it looks amazing. It's so good. Look how smooth your skin is. And she's going, she's going, yeah, but I can barely see. I can barely see. And everyone's telling me I look really tired. And I go, yeah, but look at the lines. They've all gone. You know, yeah. it just sort of, yeah. when I think back on that now, I just go, Wow, we know so much more yeah. about treating the face holistically, yeah. not just focusing on one particular area, going for, you know, an overall entire look, yeah. not making people look tired or barely being able to see <laughs> uh, because their eyelids are so heavy. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, I think we've we learn that we have to adjust things according to the individual needs of every patient. And certainly I still have a subset of patients who want to be completely frozen. And one of my gorgeous patients who had said, I want bowling ball, like bowling ball, no movement. And she says bowling ball. Paralysis. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and, and that's okay. If, and that is okay. If, if that's if what that's, they want and you're not causing harm, yeah, I think that's okay. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Look, I, I think there's sort of a, a line as well that... Um, no pun intended. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Pie. You got me there. <laughs> uh, Straight over my head. A line. A line. There's a, there's a line. Uh, there's uh, a line to be drawn as well. I'll draw well. your diagram, Jake. So that, God. That is like, <laughs> you know, look, obviously you don't want people to look ridiculous. Yeah. Because that... It's like fashion though, isn't it? Someone wants to wear like an obnoxious polka dot dress. That's their... their. And look, I I suppose the hard thing as a practitioner is um, sometimes, you know, you've got to stop your ego getting in the way as well that you're thinking about that face as being your calling card. Yeah. Um, And you obviously don't want to be associated with something that looks really, really jarring, you know, from a physical point of view. Yeah. Um, But look, you know, I suppose you have people out there transforming their bodies with horns and piercings and I saw some crazy guy on the television the other day who'd had the whites of his eyes tattooed black. What? Oh, yeah, I've seen that. There's no way. It yeah. was crazy. I've never. I, I've I, never even heard of it. It made my eyes water just looking at him on the, the, the television. Um, and so, you know, there are people wanting to change and modify themselves in guess, many different ways. So, How do I put this? What we do as injectors, well, hopefully doesn't fall into that bracket. Well, it's just, I would hope. It's just on a spectrum of cosmetic yeah, and change. Look, and look, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, right? So um, I'm not a massive fan of huge lips, mm. okay? I'm not a massive fan of that. But I understand that some people want their lips <clears throat> to be big. Yes. And so, uh, you know, you're creating a lip that maybe you wouldn't want yourself. 
but perhaps it actually suits yeah. that patient. You know, yeah. maybe they have the facial features to be able to yeah. take. Yeah, what's the ethnicity of... and age and these things have That's to be taken right. into and account. It, and, you know, we, we, we talk about with lips, with dermal filler, how the top lip should be thinner than the bottom lip. But in Sudanese culture, it's actually far more attractive to have a much fuller upper lip mm. than it is lower lip. Yeah. So, you know, there are cultural... Mm. And even uh, our Asian clients tend to have that upper lip ratio is slightly bigger yeah. than the bottom. It's just understanding yeah. faces, I guess. Yeah. Exactly. And, and also coming to understand I- ideals of beauty in different cultures. Like there are some things that are universal across cultures um, that facial shape, the oval or the heart-shaped face is considered to be more attra- most attractive in most races. But, you know, sometimes lip size shape, you know, in, um, in the Middle East, a very sort of round, full, amorphous face yes, yeah, is right. deemed to be more Attractive. attractive, yeah. No angles, no no angles. Hollows, whereas the Caucasian wants that chiseled cheekbone and sucked yeah. in, sort of e- yeah. exa- thinner look. Exactly. So it's, it's horses for courses, isn't it? Yeah, and I and I suppose that's the same with muscle relaxants as yeah. well. Is that uh, you know there's going to be a range yeah. of uh, desired outcomes. Yeah. Um, and um, you know perhaps. It will be different in yeah. different in different cultures as well. Just to finish off that chat about freezing and stuff, I don't know if you encountered. I'm sure you do. We very commonly get clients coming in saying, "I want to look totally natural, doctor. I want. I don't want to look plastic or fake. I want, but I want all my lines gone." Yes, it's sort of spinning two plates, which are quite different things. Yeah, and I and I think that clients don't fully understand what we're what what we're doing because yes. at some point you have to relax the muscle but if the muscle's relaxed you won't be able to move as well as if you'd never had a treatment so it's getting that balance do you, do you agree that that's a yeah and it, i think it, that's around uh the communication and stuff that we were talking about before mm. around managing patient expectation and just coming up with the right sort of wording to be able to explain that to someone, yeah. that, you know, there is a balance between the two and, you know, why don't we start on the light? You know, in that situation you might go, well, why don't we start on the lighter side Yes, where you will have some movement and then I'll see you in two weeks yeah. and you can then decide if you would like to add some more Yeah, uh, or, you know, so that we know that we're on the same page about what it is that you're expecting and yeah. what I can what I can deliver yeah. because I think sometimes the expectation doesn't match perhaps what we can do yeah. and uh, and look you know sometimes I have found myself saying to patients look I just don't think that I'll be able to meet your expectation mm. in in this yeah yeah um, and uh, you know I think sometimes when you're honest with someone in that regard, then um, that it, it kind of works out okay yeah. in the end. Or it's like then they then they get really desperate that you're going to cut them off. Yeah. <laughs> that, well, you, that you're not going to see them anymore. Well, you know, the way you and I have been trained with using dermal fillers, not so much to fill lines but to 
remove negative aspects of people's looks. So if you yeah. just make them look less saggy, you'll look better or younger or That's maybe right. more beautiful, but not necessarily chasing every line and wrinkle. So I yeah. guess it's the same for anti-wrinkle treatments where you're neither freezing nor leaving them with too much movement. You, if That's you just right. focus on the most negative aspects, like looking cranky all the time yeah, and make that look better, but everything else is kind of a bit more natural yes then that's a great result without looking either done or not done exactly yeah i think that that whole um that whole concept of removing the negative the negative features from mm. from the face yeah um is a really you know is a really important is a really important one and i think um particularly when it comes to muscle relaxants that you know how many times do you hear the patient say look i'm I'm here about this. I'm just, I'm sick of people at work telling me that I look cranky all the time yeah. or always asking me if I'm in a bad mood. So it always comes down to how they're portraying themselves rather than just having a line. Yes. That, you know, a uh, line in itself isn't anything, but it's what it's saying to people that's the problem. That That's right. That's right. And I think too it's... Um, I try, like, I look, I love treating lines, but I try to take the focus off it because sometimes you can have done an amazing holistic treatment on someone. They've had muscle relaxant, they've had filler, um, and, you know, you've taken them from, uh, you know, looking saggy and tired to looking really good and refreshed. And then they come back and they go, I've still got a faint line. I've got this little line here. And it's just like, okay. Let's focus on the big picture here. Mm. Look at the improvement that you've made. And mm. I look at, and I see that sometimes with patients after major facial surgery as well. You know, after a face and neck lift and a fat transfer and things and they look incredible. Uh, you know, from their before to their after, they look amazing. Mm. Yet they're focused on one little negative aspect, which is just this line that's left here. And I just go, look, you've gone from this to yes. this. Think about the overall where you've come from and where you've gone to. Yeah. This line. It's still coming back to that sort of. This line after does not make any difference. Kind of comparison that maybe isn't really what we should be judging it, isn't it? I, I just maybe. wonder how we educate people better. Well, I think always. The general public always focuses on lines and I think it's the one thing that they truly understand to be a sign of ageing. Mm. Um, and so when we go into the discussion about perhaps how that line was formed um, with some of the loss of volume to mm. both the skeleton and the fat pads, the skin, all of those things, then they start to get a more realistic understanding of what it actually takes to get rid of that little line. Yeah, I agree, They're, but but their end point is still got this line. Yeah. It's hard to get well, them over I, that hurdle. Often I treat the often I will treat the treat the line yeah, because there's that, high patient satisfaction associated with treatment of lines. Mm. There is, you know, and it's it's like um it's like we, you know, we always have this discussion about creating, you know, someone with the nasolabial fold, let's say, and I know this isn't a muscle relaxant topic, it's more of a filler topic, but we talk about, you know, lifting lifting the cheek in order to improve that. But when we do that, we're 
uh, giving the patient a treatment that requires more filler. Mm. And it's we're taking them away from their focus. We're taking them away from their focus. And actually, it was interesting. Uh, our mentor, you may have read our notes that we sent through. Yes. Um, had mentioned that in one of his treatments that you're, you treat the patient, some of the, you treat some of what you want to do, but you can treat some of the patient expectation and as I well. I think we all do that. Meaning that you've got to meet halfway somehow. If their focus is here, maybe you have to treat both. Mm. You know, in order to um, feel that they're satisfied with the the treatment, because we've all done these full face treatments in demonstration situations <coughs> and whatnot. And when you ask the patient what what is the thing that you like most about their treatment yet you've removed all of these negative features and you've actually beautified them as well, is they'll go, oh, these lines pointing to their nasolabial fold, these lines look so much softer. And yet the whole face looks incredibly. It's totally changed and it comes back to the line still. That's right. Yeah. And and it's what they see as well in a, you know, we look at them in a three-dimensional way and they look more in a two-dimensional way. You've got more of a trained eye. So I guess you know what to look for. Well, also, when we look at ourselves, we only really look at ourselves in the mirror Mm. um, or a selfie. And we always make, whenever we look in the mirror, we always make ourselves look look how we want ourselves to look. Yeah, do the macho, well, David does the macho pose and (laughs) girls tend to do a a pout or their best smile ever and it's not... (laughs) Or well, they give a little Kylie Minogue half, half smile where their sort of cheek elevates. Like they've had a stroke. Oh, you're sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I hope Kylie isn't listening. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Um, I was just going to say, um, I mean, I'm not sure where Jake was going to go next, but it, just in terms of one of the questions that I had was um, there still seems to be a lot of confusion out there around dermal fillers and toxins or derm- anti-wrinkle, how they work yeah. together or people saying I want to get product, something in my lips when it's actually dermal filler that goes there. So can you maybe explain the differences and how they're now working together as opposed to like it'd be rare that you would just treat someone with anti-wrinkle. You might initially start with anti-wrinkle, but in terms of addressing a face holistically, it's a a combination of the two. It is. And and look, I think um, for most people who've never had a cosmetic treatments before, Often the first injectable treatment they'll do is muscle relaxant. And the reason for that being is there's very little downtime associated with it. Um, The needles are small. (laughs) Needles small. (laughs) It's quicker Uh, generally. It's quicker. It's, um, you know, less likely to get bruising. Um, Probably more affordable, isn't it? It will wear off more, you know, wear off more quickly if they don't like the effect for whatever reason. Um, The price point is better as well. Mm. Um, And, you know, and the results are, you know, you're fairly much seeing your results after seven to 10 days. Whereas to create, you know, a a, um, 
a holistic dermal filler treatment, it may be a num. It takes more effort. There may be a number of treatment sessions over a period of time to get to the end point. So, um, you know, the muscle relaxants are often almost like a gateway drug mm. into the whole cosmetic industry. It's a big, because people are nervous. People are often nervous, anxious, and worried about what their results are going to be like. Um, And so uh, having the muscle relaxant treatments is a great confidence builder, I find, um, to give them confidence to then move on to the other things. Right. Mm. But yeah, look, I, I am surprised that given the level of knowledge that's mm. out there in the general public, <laughs> but maybe we are seeing a skewed yep. part of the public because I think it's only about 8% yeah. of the general population Still engage. Yeah. So it's still quite low. Uh, so there may be people, you know, we're, we're seeing a skewed yeah. group. Yeah. Um, but, yes, I do find it surprising that given the amount of media attention and social media attention that these treatments get, that people still don't understand the difference between a muscle relaxant and a dermal filler. And it comes so, back to our language that we have to use by law probably. Yeah. Would I be, right. so I'll, I'll, if I may, a, a, a quick summary of that. So um, anti-wrinkle uh, injections can be used to treat uh, fine lines, wrinkles. Um, they can be used to uh, stop sweating temporarily and can be used in some instances to reduce the size of muscles to improve shape. Correct. Dermal fillers are used as a volumizing tool to add volume, to enhance features, to lift areas, etc. Um, there is a little bit of crossover between the two in terms of achieving a holistic outcome, yeah. but they are still two very, very different products that are administered very differently, different um, side effects, different downtime, etc. Would that be would that be a fair that would summary? Be, that would be a perfect summary. Okay, can I complicate it? It's a perfect it? summary. Oh, of course, go on, Jack. So, <laughs> going back to our mentor, yeah. Dr. Maurizio De Mau, yeah. he. Uh, has come up with this pretty amazing concept of using fillers to alter how muscles pull. Right. So that is sort of more analogous to what an anti-wrinkle treatment would do yeah. by working on muscles and, and how they pull on the skin. Yeah. So to keep this very simple, if you put a filler under a muscle, it sort of acts a bit like a, a, a more leverage for the muscle yeah. to pull on and make it stronger. Yeah. Whereas if you put a filler over a muscle and sort of suppress it, you get less pull. Right. So there are things the nuances to it. Yes. In the future, where we might be able to alter people's, you know, let's call use the dimply chin as as one. We typically use anti wrinkle treatments there, but you could also use a dermal filler over that muscle to dampen down that muscle and get a more longer lasting yeah. effect. Well, the dermal, the dermal filler actually probably makes more sense in that situation Correct. because the reason that muscle is becoming overactive is because we are losing volume to our jawline yes. and the fat pads in the chin. Yes. So it's becoming overactive to create easier apposition of the, the lips. Yes. Um, and we see, and this is the perfect example of this is when you have someone who has a very, very underdeveloped chin, uh, you know, even a, a young person who has a very retruded chin, they will always have an overactive mentalis muscle because 
uh, because the, the chin is so retruded, they need that extra muscle action to actually bring their upper lip and their bottom lip together. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, you would be able to probably relax that to a degree by creating more support through the chin area. Yes. Um, and with minor retrusion, you can do it with dermal fillers. Yeah. Uh, with a much more major retrusion, you may need more surgical options in order to, f- to fix that. Mm. But, um, but, yeah, you know, I think um, I, I think this the lines are blurring a little bit. Is basically the bottom line, but yeah, as a and broad I, and thing, I think we kind of, you know, we've probably all been seeing this over the years. It's probably been contributing to our treatments. Yes, um, but we've just never really drilled down into what the reason was. Yeah, whereas Mister Brainiac over there in Brazil. <laughs> Uh, really thinks about all of this stuff deeply, yeah. and uh, and I think one of his one of his big motivating factors with that was that um, some of the filler treatments into the cheek area, he was finding that they were having this big, you know, it was almost like the zygomaticus uh, major, you know, that lifts the, the cheek when we smile was becoming overactive yes. because of, you know, placing filler underneath And accentuating that muscle. the smile muscle. And that's right. Yeah. So, um, you know, he, he was noticing that some of his results were not how he would like them in facial expression, which got him thinking about mm. this, which, you know, it's amazing to have people who think so deeply about, all of that stuff and yeah. look at things in such minute detail. So sorry to confuse you, David. That's all, I'm, I'm generally Are you always confused. That's <laughs> just a, a, a common state of mind for me. Um, so, I but think, yes, I think I think both they work synergistically together, yeah. and I think the muscle relaxants are really at their best in the upper face. Yeah. Um, they don't do quite as good a job in the lower face, I don't find. I think the results are a little more variable, mm. whereas the <coughs> results in the upper face, the upper yep. third, yep. Um, look, they are almost reproducible in every patient every time. Yep. And that is what creates such high satisfaction mm. with any tr- with any treatment yep. is the reproducibility of the results yep. over a long period of time. Yep. Uh, and so uh, the muscle relaxants really come into their own in, in the in the upper face. Um, and also, you know, when you start to think about other injectable treatments in the upper face, they're very advanced techniques mm. that um, have a lot more risk associated with them. Mm. So, uh, you know, to be able to use the muscle relaxant well in the upper face is so much safer mm-hmm. than using uh, dermal fillers in that area. Gotcha. How do you approach a male client versus a female? Do you have any sort of go-to guidelines that would help, you know, your average consumer who, who doesn't know about this, maybe a, a man considering it for the first time? Hmm. Okay. Well, generally I find the men require higher doses. Yeah. Um, so I would say, look, you know, you're just going to have to suck it up that it's going to be more expensive for you than it is for a female um, because they've got stronger muscles, bigger muscle mass. So, yeah. you know, you need a higher dose to get the result. 
Um, the other thing about men um, with using muscle relaxants is you don't want to create high arched brows for the man because the man looks more attractive with a flat lower brow. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think men look that great with their crow's feet treated. I think men look nicer with a few little lines. They look more masculine, I think, yeah. with a few lines around around the eyes. Um but look, that having been said, I do tra- treat men's crow's feet as well, but I tend to treat them on the on the lighter dose side of things. But really, the main thing for men is I don't want to create high arch brows like a like a a tranny, unless of course that is their desired outcome. Mm. You know, if they want that, then yeah. um, you know we can do that if yes. if someone wants to have a more feminine look to their face. Yeah. Um yeah, you might gay men that might want to have that more frozen feminized type of look or you're like a real blokey bloke yeah. that wants to, you know, he still wants to look masculine but just wants to look a bit a bit younger or soften That's some right. of the stuff. So it's easy to like horses for yeah. horses, I guess, right? It, exactly, and you can tailor the treatment. Um I guess it's very common, and particularly for new clients, and, and David, you alluded to this, where getting that right dose mm. is, is actually really, really hard. And yet, you know, I guess because of the way clinics are set up, you know, you have a package price or a set price per unit. But do you agree that it's actually really hard to get it right first time for people? And yet, I think from the client's perspective, they come back thinking, well, why isn't it perfect? Yeah, you, you often have to dose adjust or do a little tweak or. That's right, and I, I, look, I, I think that's different for for different areas. I, I think you can get the frown right, the majority of the time. Yes, without a doubt. Um, sometimes they may have some recruitment of more lateral muscles, so they get a little bit more lateral push. So they have a sense that. It, they're still creating a, a line. So mm. you sometimes may get that yeah. um, when treating the frown. I think probably the most difficult area to treat is the uh, horizontal lines of the forehead Yeah, because you're spreading uh, a low dose of the muscle relaxant over a fairly large area um, and, you know, you may just find <coughs> that you get one little area of muscle that's a little bit overactive that you do have to touch up at a, at a follow-up. Mm. Um, or you may have underestimated how much the patient is actually needing that muscle to keep their eyelids lifted yeah. and their their eyes having that nice open look. Yeah. And so, <coughs> you know, if you use a standard dose in that frontalis muscle, in that situation, you may uh, end up with very heavy lids, mm, like yeah. my lady back in the 90s who I thought she had this amazing smooth forehead <laughs> but she couldn't see out of her eyes. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you do have to, and, and sometimes some people are more sensitive yes. to the muscle relaxant than others yeah, as yeah. well. Um and, you know, you have different shaped foreheads. Some foreheads are quite small and narrow. Mm. Some are very, very high. Uh, you know, for men with a receding hairline, you know, you have to go all the way right back into their... Don't look at me when you say that, Kath. 
all the way back into their scalp, you know, because otherwise, you know, they get this one little, little horns. twitchy, yeah, they get little horns at <laughs> yeah. the top yeah. of their head. Um, so, yeah, it is, it's, it's more complex yeah. than, than I mean, just... It's quite, a, it's quite a weird area, isn't it? Because you've got like a tug of war going on. You've got the frontalis muscle pulling up and then you've got the, I'm going to impress you now, abicularis oculi. Is and that right? Glabella. Yes. And glabella, all pulling down. So all if pulling you, down, that's right. So if you weaken one, you pull one up so you can get people that look surprised in one eyebrow or you might make them look like a Neanderthal if you put too much in, especially in the female face. That's, that's, that's right. And, and, and one of the difficult things to manage is the patient who wants the brow lift but they don't want any forehead lines. Yeah. Well, th- this is what I was alluding and to. Double negative. How do you- <laughs> well, I think yeah, a lot of it's, clients. It's, and, it's, and it's no matter how simply often you explain it, they still don't understand that right. sometimes you can't have both yes. yep. because of that balance between, mm. you know, that seesaw effect between the elevators and the depressors mm. of the brow, that the brow lift thing from the muscle relaxant, it's not some magic thing that the muscle relaxant does. It's just pulling down less. Yeah, it's creating the balance between the muscles that pull up and the muscles that pull so down. So do, do you find a lot of your clients, because I certainly do, ask for muscle relaxant above the eyebrow to lift. Yes. They, they think it's this magic thing. Wouldn't they have the opposite effect? Correct. Oh. And that's what you have to explain I to them. I think there are a few techniques where you can create that, that you can put a little injection quite close to the brow and then another up in the Sure, hairline. there are little fancy tweaks. There but are as a little general tweaks, but as a general rule. They don't get that. No. Yeah. That, that, or if you in, right. injected more medially, you would drop here, which would create more of a, an illusion of a up up there maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, maybe. He's got this, uh, he's got this stuff. He, he's he, should, good. he should be an injector. There you go. <laughs> Just need the qualifications there. Yeah. And actually that is the art of a good injector because some injectors don't understand this. They will just blanket everything and, yes. you know, like you said, no lines equals good, but not necessarily so. Mm. Yeah, that, yeah, that's right. Sometimes the overall look of the face is not is not great because yeah. the expression is slightly weird. Yeah. Now, just one other thing about, I guess, the actual process and then we'll come on to yes. com- complications. You mentioned dosing before, yeah. but this is really kind of key for getting a result and also the longevity of, you know, how long yeah. this result lasts because so often clients will dip their toe and say, I only want a quarter dose or whatever it may be. Yeah. And you sort of get to a point where you're like, I'm not entirely sure this is kind of worth it from from your mm-hmm. perspective because they'll just come back and say it didn't work, it didn't last. Yeah, and you yeah. sort of get into this circular argument of sort of, trying to please them but also not 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 get a result. Yeah, yeah. Look, I think um, there's always going to be a, a balance too because I think sometimes the recommended doses for certain areas can be too high hmm. um, and you do need to individualise it for the patient. Yeah. Um, but if you want longevity, if you want the longevity that has come out of the clinical studies, you need to use those doses. Yes. Because that's what those clinical studies, um, you know, if you're all based around evidence-based medicine, if you want the longevity that was achieved in those clinical studies, yes, then you need to use that dose. Yeah, and if we're going to quote two to four months, which is what those studies say, 
then that dose would be needed. That's right. And yet we've all had that client who come in and say, I've got $100, make me perfect yeah. for four months. And, you know, that's not Yeah, well, look, I, I, I always um, counsel the patients in, in that regard because um, we know that low-dose treatments can provide the overall cosmetic effect you know, the cosmetic effect can be quite similar, mm. um, but it's the longevity that's going to suffer. Yeah. So, you know, if you say, well, it's probably going to last you two months or it may only last you one and a half months, mm. then, um, uh, you know, they may then change their change their mind about, about increasing the dose. The human psychology is that won't be me. <laughs> I get to four on the $100. Yeah. I look, I, I, just everyone's a bit different, right? Yeah. I look, I, f- I find most patients who are wanting lower dose, mm. it's not really the, the cost that's worrying them. It's going to be the overall cosmetic effect yeah. that they're really worried about looking too frozen or, you know, they've got a friend who they think looks slightly weird or, mm-hmm. you know, I think some of that is more of a fear factor thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm happy to use those lower doses provided they understand that they won't necessarily get the, the longevity. Yeah, they might just come back more frequently. Yeah. That's right, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, look, sometimes I do find when treating the frown lines, because you do treat it so solidly, uh, for a period of time that really after someone has been having muscle relaxer treatment there for a year yeah. and they've come regularly they forget for, their, for their uh, prescribed dose every four months, the next year they may only have to come six monthly at that recommended dose mm. or you may be able to drop the dose because their muscles just are not that strong yeah. and they just don't need that dose. Fair enough. Now let's drill down on some of the common side effects, I guess. So, yeah. you know, what are the things that you might worry about, I guess, on the day if you're an injector? Well, look, the, probably the most um, the most common things are going to be a slight amount of swelling and maybe a bruise. Yeah. They're the most common. Yeah. Um, on the day, look, if someone had a rip-roaring infection in the area that they're going to, they want to have treated, then I would say no. Yeah. Um, the other, look, the, the main complications that we get concerned about are the muscle relaxant diffusing to a muscle where we don't want it to go. Yeah. Um, and so that's where we could potentially get a droopy eyelid mm. um, or if that uh, frontalis muscle for the horizontal lines, if it's treated too heavily, you can drop the eyebrow as well and yes. make the person feel very heavy. Yes. Um, and, you know, sometimes that may be, you, you know, that's, probably one of the more difficult areas yeah. to, to, to treat is making that judgment about how much they're using that muscle to, to compensate. Yeah. Clients sort of describe that heaviness as like wearing a swimming cap. It's just there yes. all the time. It's an uncomfortable tightness. Yes, it's not, tightness. A, not, a nice, not a nice feeling. And um, for treating the crow's feet area, um, there is 
a one rare, very rare side effect, which is double vision. Mm. Um, and that's if you get the um, muscle relaxant too close to the orbit and yes. it gets into the orbit, it might weaken the muscles that pull the eyeball around in the socket. Yeah. And so if your your eyes are not moving in sync because one has weak muscles and one doesn't, you get two images. Yeah. I've never seen that. No, I um, it's described in the literature, but I, I've I've never seen it personally. Um, and look, I think if you, I reckon it's the Carruthers when they were playing around so close okay. to the eye. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. Also, too, they use mega doses. Yeah, sure. They use absolute mega doses and get their patients to come back twice a year only. Yeah. Um, they'll look pre- they must look pretty bad for the first three months, I'd say, with the yeah. doses that they use. But. Well, that's an interesting point because, you know, I don't know too much about it and I don't know whether you do, but some of the future products from various companies that are talking about longer-lasting uh, anti-wrinkle treatments or, or even what I've heard is the party treatment where it only lasts for a couple of weeks. Yeah. Do you see a a need or a use for these kind of different longevities? Look, I actually, it's certainly not my area of expertise, these new emerging technologies. Um, but probably the one that I've been most excited about hearing of is the, the topical. Mm. The topical in the cream, which uh, they had some uh, good results with that initially in the crow's feet area. Yeah. Um, and Michael Kane, a plastic surgeon oh. from New York, has been talking <coughs> about this. You know, he was over- the man when I first got into the industry in Australia. Now, yeah. Maurizio, before it was my, I was talking to Jake the other day, going, Michael Kane, he's like, who's that, the actor? Yeah. is Michael Kane. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Michael um, has has written a great little book um, about muscle relaxant and, um, you know, he uh, was certainly, you know, quite a guru in that area in the early 2000s, but he was working on a research project with this cream that was Mm. um, like a topical botulinum. And, look, I, I don't think it will work in other areas of the face because the muscle is placed too deeply for it to have that level of penetration. So I don't think it will work for, say, the frown area or it's not going to work for the masseter. But the interesting thing that I find about that is that we notice when we do muscle relaxant treatments that people's overall skin generally looks better Yes. It's like when that tension is taken out of the skin that it just looks smoother. There are no kind of skin tension lines anymore. So I think that topical, yes, it may be great for crow's feet, but it may be great for just giving you that overall glow, Yeah, that it's just weakening just that little connection through to the skin, sort of so you'll still have expression. Yes. You'd still have facial expression, but when you're in repose, the skin would have a nice, smooth sort of glow to it. I think um, Waffles Wu was oh, one of the yeah. pioneers of, of that technique where he used micro, micro doses. In a very dilute form. Very dilute form, injected yeah. very superficially. Yes. And, and doing exactly what you just said. Yeah. 
Yeah, and um, and you know, to- if it's a topical cream that doesn't require multiple injection points and things, mm-hmm. um, but look, you know, that was talked about at a conference years ago, and yes. it still hasn't sort of made it into the commercial realm as as yet. I mean, there are a few cosmetic creams around that claim to do a similar. Oh, yeah. You see them sim- on the morning show and things like to do, that. Yeah. <laughs> to do a similar thing, but. Um, I'm not sure about this, the two-week one. Um, you know, I think the idea behind that two-week one, I think, is that it bridges the – it works instantaneously mm. and it lasts for a very short period of time. So it bridges the gap between when your treatment kicks in and when – Ah, so you and just you've walk actually away a, done. So you just walk away done. That's interesting. I never thought it So it would be that. quite good for parties and stuff yeah. like that, you know, if you don't have the full two weeks to wait to get yeah, the full yeah. cosmetic effect. That is a good point. I never <laughs> yeah. thought of that. <laughs> exactly. So um, so that's uh, that I think is the idea behind that. And, look, in terms of longer-lasting ones, I just don't 100% know about that mm. um, because what if you got a side effect? That's yeah, my fear. I mean, they're, they're rare. In fact, they're pretty well, most very good injectors are very rare, but when it happens, it's a disaster for everyone. Yes. And uh, there's not too much you can do about a dropped eyelid apart from, you know. Drop the other one. Well, no. But, I mean, <laughs> well, you, can have, you, you, can use eye, you can use some eye drops. Yeah. Do, do you have help. an experience in using the eye drops? Yeah, and it works, it works really well. Okay. So you're basically using um, the eye drops to stimulate another muscle yes. um, so in the eyelid. Direct uh, you're not reversing the no. You're not reversing treatment. it. You're switching on another muscle to yes. work a little harder. Yeah. I've actually done um, it twice, and like you said, it worked really, really well. In eleven years, yeah, I've had to do that, and and it worked. But yeah, it, you know, you just don't want to get into that in the first no, place. No, that that's that's right, and it's um, but that does work very well, and um. Patients can use that to get them over the over the hump because usually the side effect doesn't mm. last as long as as yeah. the cosmetic effect. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, you can kind of make light of these things as a um, practitioner that oh, you know, that don't worry about that. It'll be it'll be um, gone in a month. Mm. But if you've ever experienced a complication yourself, you realise it is quite. Oh, debilitating. Time, time from, stops moving. Yeah. Yeah. From a, so, and, and, you know, and it does become very much a psychological focus. So Absolutely. we really do want to avoid those things <clears throat> as much as possible. I mean, you know, even going back to bruises, you know, I, I guess we as injectors sort of almost blase casually say, look, we're using needles. It's possible. It doesn't often happen when it does. We sort of palm it off as part and, part and parcel of injections. But if you have to wear that, and, and walk around for two weeks with a, a big bruise on your face where you're actually trying to look better, not worse. It's actually really psychologically quite upsetting. Mm. Uh, yeah. Even well, though I... Think of all the collagen induction you get from the bruise. <laughs> <laughs> Still yeah. whining. There you go. <laughs> I, um, I gave a woman a black eye from a muscle relaxant treatment, which dermal fillers, yes, you might expect that from time to time, but not with a muscle relaxant. Yeah. And um, it was a full-on shiner. Mm. 
and she was a flight attendant. Uh-huh. And she had to take two weeks off work. Uh, this is Make I couldn't cover it? No. No, it was diff- it was well, you know, you've got to look your best if you're a yeah, um, well, it's the association with uh, for a woman being abused or punched in the face. <laughs> it's yeah, not right. a bruise in itself that's a problem. It's the association. Yeah, Why right. is it there? I think. Yeah. Yeah. Often. Yeah. Often. So, um, yeah. so yeah, it's you, you know you can't kind of make light of these things because yeah. they do have um, you know a, a social and sometimes a financial impact for yeah. uh, for the patient as well. They tend to be people, from my experience, and I've seen lots of hundreds of clients over the years come through my clinics, and it tends to be the people that have had these treatments many times before that then all of a sudden just for whatever reason get a bruise and it's the end of the world because I've had this treatment a hundred times before. This has never happened. You did something wrong. Yeah. This is not me because the expect because it's so rare when. It does yeah. happen to them. It's yeah. like the world's coming coming to an end. And yeah. I think it can be quite handy to almost have a <coughs> photograph of an anatomical plastinated. Yeah, we're not model trying to hit the vessels; they're everywhere. <laughs> it's just of where the vessels are, and show them that, and say, "Well, look, this is where all the blood. This is the blood vessels." Um, you can see how difficult it is to actually avoid that. It's actually more of a miracle you that you're not black and blue every time you come in. Yeah. yeah. You know, more than this is an absolute disaster. But, yeah, you know, it is uh, it is socially debilitating to get a bad bruise, that's for sure. Now, before we sort of, I guess, wrap things up, one thing I did want to just um, discuss with you quickly, and we've, I guess we've, we've sort of covered this topic a little bit before in the past in terms of the body dysmorphia issue and, Mm. More so in relation to surgery, which is permanent. Um, but there was an interesting article that came out yesterday at The Guardian in the UK. And the heading is, and I won't mention the word, but it says cosmetic clinics to assess mental health before offering anti-wrinkle treatments. So it seems like um, from reading the article, cosmetic clinics will begin assessing patients' um, suitability for anti-wrinkle treatments to spot those at the desired appearance um, being due to mental health problems. And that seems to be something that it's coming up a little bit around this whole body dysmorphia, the implications of social media and how this, um, how that affects it. And I guess when we're talking about these antrinkle treatments being a gateway drug, do you have any concerns that um, this could be the, the, the point for people starting their cosmetic journey um, and developing body dysmorphia? And, and how, do you, how do you go about assessing that in your practice? Look, I think body dysmorphia is, is actually rare. You know, the the true described psychiatric disorder is quite rare. Um, I think we've come to sort of use that term body dysmorphia um, to describe anyone who's got um, a bit of kind of obsessive compulsive disorder around their appearance. Mm. Um, And Look, I, I think for people to have to have a mental health assessment pre-muscle relaxant treatment, I, 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 I certainly don't agree yeah. with with that. I think, um, uh, you know, that's something that, um, you know, I think those disorders will come to light yeah. the more you treat the person. And I, I don't think that treating someone with a muscle relaxant is going to push them into having BDD. Well, we said that yesterday. I was like, wow, that's a, that's a big... It's a stretch, isn't it? Yeah, a little bit, yeah. Big step. I, I like the intention. Mm. I like the fact that they're even thinking about it. But 
Yeah, I mean, you know, and, and if someone truly did have BDD, like you said, Kath, I think there are certain characteristics that, whilst are hard to pick up, they, they will come to light the more serious the procedure that's right. Yeah. That's that. That's right. I, I think. Um, I think it does. And and you know, there are probably a few red flags. You know that uh, no other injectors have been able to get it right for me, or um, you know, showing before and after photos that are completely unrealistic. Are complete, unachievable. Yes, are completely yeah. unrealistic. Or. Um, uh, you know, yes, showing a photo of what they want to achieve and it's just not, you know, it's just not humanly possible yeah. and that sort of thing. But, you know, it's a, it, that's, that's a very fine line to tread too because how do you then suddenly say to someone who's come to talk to you about their appearance that, well, actually I think I need to refer you to a psychiatrist? Yeah, mm. we've had that discussion. It's very yeah, it's a, well often. It's a difficult, um, it's mm. a difficult discussion to yeah. have. Dr Shab um, mentioned chairs being thrown at her and yeah, all sorts of drama. Oh, is this, this we, she's a... She's a, a clinical psychologist. Yeah. Okay. She works with a lot of... Um, a lot of surgeons, particularly in Sydney, have right. got a lot of okay. pre-screening, especially patient patients that are having revision revision surgery. Yes, um, and episode, episode six. Yeah, episode six. I yeah. Think. Okay, um, I'm yeah. to go and have a look at that. Yes. Really interesting chat yeah. in terms, of, especially with things around the nose, where it's such an like, an uh, focal point. focal point of the face. People go, the brain goes through some sort of almost healing process and accepting this new identity because it's just so yes. drastic. The changes that happen. Yep. Yeah, and the process, it, like a two-year recovery, almost to see the final result. So, that's that's right. Yeah, it can be can be challenging for people at times. But it's um, uh, look, I, I think um, there was talk at some point of having like a cooling off. Yeah, that when people had had their initial consultation, that they were to go away and then come back. Um, but I think when it comes to injectables. Uh, that's in this kind of fast, snappy world. Yeah, they're not going to suit people. I just don't think that's going to suit people. Yeah. You know, they, they come in with an expectation of getting the treatment on the day. Yeah. Um, for surgical stuff, I think that's um, a really a really good idea and I mm. think plastic surgeons are now, um, plastic and cosmetic surgeons are now um, recommended that they have a, two-week cooling-off period even before taking the deposit for yeah. the surgery. I'm not 100% sure on that. But I, mean, I think that's, that's um, you know, to not rush into those things. So to balance this argument, uh, David, you were there. We Well, I treated a client and, you know, she had a fantastic result. Oh, yes. And everyone looked at the photos and was like, wow, she looks just amazing. And yet she just, I don't know, she just wasn't sat, not not satisfied. She appreciated she looked good, but she almost just wasn't comfortable being this new person. And I guess if I really think about it in retrospect of when I first met her, there was just something that I found strange about her or or. or, or the behaviour. Yeah, it was just her affect, how she yes. was with me. She was a little bit uh, reserved and I don't know how to put it. I, just something wasn't quite right. And and so very, very occasionally I would say, hands up, maybe I could have gone slower 
or or, or tweak yes. something to to get a it's not even a better result just just I more gradual yeah adjust. more gradual yeah. change yeah yeah I, look I, and I think that's good um, you know we often hear in presentations and things about you know we're doing 16 16 mils of dermal <coughs> filler uh, and things like that but really I think patients adjust much more easy and much more easily actually going maybe two mils at a time yeah mm. uh, and I know it's been recommended you know four mils per treatment mm. to get and do you know two areas in one in one sitting and that sort of thing but um, but I think you know two mils per time is a good way of gradually improving the patient over time. Mm. Uh, sometimes they want to be in more of a rush or they only want one yeah. lot of downtime or, or whatnot. But you're making more gradual changes to mm. their face over a period of time. Um, also, you're having more of a touch point with your patient, so you're developing the relationship um, more fully so that you're improving trust mm. and improving rapport each time you see them. Um, and so, uh, you know, I tend to be someone who takes that slower mm. approach, yeah. um, uh, you know, rather than jumping in and doing, mm. you know. I mean, it could I mean, be look, patient, I, could be I, patient specific. Look, Obviously, because... look, you know, the 70-year-old patient who comes in yeah. and has never had a thing oh, done of ever. Now I say, look, realistically, we are just going to have to do four mils today. Yeah, you know, because we won't achieve, we won't achieve the result that you that mm. you want to see. You won't notice a, a difference. Yeah. Um, so it is around managing expectation yeah. and 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 that sort of and that sort of thing and. Um, and particularly with our younger patients where we're sort of jumping in at the early stages, yeah. you know, sometimes one syringe of filler can make a huge difference. Yeah. Mm. It can also um, be um, just a reflection of the age group as well. Like older people don't deal, I'm, I'm generalising, older people may not deal with dramatic change as well as younger people when you're talking about this fast-paced world that we live in now where right. younger people are like they're adapting quickly. I mean, yeah. you know, like a, 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 a drastic change might sit well with them where someone who's a bit older that needs more. Yes. But the which, example, is the parad which is comes the difficult. The paradox, they need, yeah. Yeah, they need more, but giving them more in one hit is too much of a shock to the system from a psychological yeah. perspective. The, the example exactly. I gave was probably not the norm. I mean, yes. she looked very tired, a lot older for her age, and suddenly she didn't. Yeah. Which was a, a great outcome. That's why she came to see me, but it was just wow for her. So maybe it's Whereas, a yeah. consult where you say to someone like that, hey, look, we're going to make some pretty dramatic changes today. But well, it is, it well, is actually, normal I don't that. intend to ever, you know, inverted change commas, them. change. I want to make someone Improved. look better, which yeah, she clearly the, did. The results are going to be, but drastic. of course, if yeah. you if you sometimes, literally take it logically, it's a change. Yeah, but sometimes is. too, it's adjusting to the feel yeah. of your face. Yeah, and particularly when we're working in somewhere like the chin area, mm. that can feel kind of tight 
sort of a bit tight and a bit weird and feel like your chin is sort of getting a life of its own (laughs) for a little while until you start to get tissue integration. So I think what happened was actually, again, what we were saying about um, people's perceptions. So she had gone to work and clearly people were like, oh, my God, you look amazing. But it was so blatantly obvious that it couldn't have just happened with makeup or, or, or a haircut. Ah, that she was self-conscious that about it wasn't having that had... She loved having people say, you look amazing, but she just didn't know how to deal with it. It was just yeah. weird for her, I think. Yeah, yeah. But she never quite voiced that, but I think that's Yeah, and look, happened. I had a similar thing after a... Um, with a, a workshop sort of training patient... And so she was able to have, I I think she had six or seven mils of filler on the day. And she did look amazing afterwards. But she was someone who had never had an injectable treatment before. Mm. She'd never even had muscle relaxant. Um, Wasn't, uh, didn't do skin treatments or any of that sort of stuff. She was pulled in at the last minute as a model because someone else had dropped out. Mm. So it was like she was rushed into the situation as well. And we did quite a big treatment on her. Um, And her before and afters were were really good. But I got this desperate uh, email correspondence to one of the clinics that I work at the next day going, I need to see I need to see Dr. Porter urgently. I have to get all of this dissolved like now. Mm. And when we when I sort of talked her down from the cliff, um, it was it was really more related, I think, to her family's reaction. Yeah. Her husband and her children. Because, look, she'd had a lot of treatment done. She'd had her lips done, chin, cheeks, lateral face, jaw, everything. And swollen and probably too. So yeah. she, was, she was swollen. And She's I just think not mum to them. That's right. And I think, you know, the kids and the husband were not supportive yeah. and were probably making fun of her, going, you look ridiculous, blah, blah, blah. And so her gut reaction is, oh, I've, got to get, I've got to get rid of this. Mm. Whereas I think... You know, if, you're, if your family knows that you're going to do this and this is the expectation of what the recovery is, is like, then um, uh, then you know, it's, it's managed, it's managed it's better. If you have supportive people around you, yeah. you're okay. And it, it's like the um, texting we had two weeks later, it was almost of like a completely different person. Mm. You know, I love my results. I love my new look. I'm totally fine now. Mm. I feel much better, blah, blah, blah. So I think sometimes, like you said, the reaction of the work colleagues and how do I address the fact that maybe I have to talk about I've had something I've had something done mm. or people recognize that I've had something done I'm actually quite a private person yeah, yeah. Um, and also too you know people who are quite private and introverted they don't like that extra attention no. of people telling them they look amazing and all of that stuff it's yeah. it's not really their thing yeah. so you know a lot of it is psychology and just um, hand holding to get people through yeah um, to 
get people through what they need to and, and also too, you know, to, um, you know, perhaps say, well, look, if, if your husband and kids don't know that you're going to get this done, then... Maybe you want to think about that before we do your whole face. Yeah, you know, you might want to kind of sort of touch base with them about this so that they know what, what to expect. Yeah. Um, well, I think we've breached our world record length for a podcast. Yeah, two hours and three minutes. Um, so maybe we'll wrap things up, but that's been awesome. I think we could just carry on forever. Yeah, we could. To be completely honest. We'll go back to psychedelics. Yeah, and magic <laughs> mushrooms. Yeah. Um, fine. So what advice would you give a newcomer to anti-wrinkle injections? Like what should they do to find a good injector? Like what was your advice? Look, I think um, you obviously want to find someone who's had appropriate training. Um, that can be that can be difficult because you know there aren't loads of official um, qualifications and qualifications yeah. out there in in this area. Um, but uh, going on perhaps a recommendation of a friend mm. uh, yeah. is is Probably is often good, one, isn't it? and a friend who you like the look yeah. that they've not, achieved. Not, not a friend who you go, God, I don't look like that. that that's, <laughs> that's right. You know the the. One who looks a bit freaky. Not the friend you talk all about behind friend, their back, yeah. yeah. All their friends are asking them where they go, not because they want to go there, but because they actually want to want avoid, to avoid it. it. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, look, I, I think um, friends' recommendations um, are, you know, are often good, and I, I find that most of my clients come from personal recommend recommendation. Yeah. Um, there's good things like real self and cosmetic journey. These forums where people share a lot of. Um, yeah. their experiences and things like that too that, perhaps. That, yeah. That's right. And um, and I think too, you know, um, even if you want to just go and have a consultation, you know, you don't have to have the treatment on the day. You mm. can go and have a have a consult and just find out what is possible yes. and find out all the ins and outs about it if you're a little bit nervous about it mm. um, and then come back and make an appointment at, a, at, a, at another time. Yeah. Um, and look, the other... The other good resource for people too, I think, is if you see um, a beauty therapist or a dermal therapist or a hairdresser regularly, um, they often have great recommendations for mm-hmm. people in your local area sure. because they're very focused on Aesthetics, appearance and yeah. beauty. And it's like they might not know about the science of the science of um, muscle relaxants and how they're applied and all of that stuff, but they kind of know what looks good and what yeah, doesn't. Yeah. So, you know, they can be a, a good a good resource as well. Excellent. And how do people find uh, Dr. Porter if they would like to discuss treatment or they'd just like to come and have a chat or whatever? Oh, well, I am at um, the All Saints Clinic. Oh, with Dr. Hickey. With Dr. Hickey. So yeah. um, I spend most of my time in, in Darlinghurst. Right. But I do Just up near spend... the corner there are Flinders and Anzac Parade. That's right. Oh. But I do spend a bit of time in Double Bay as well. So, um, yeah, we were... Welcome all comers. So the name of the clinic, was it All Saints, did you say? No, All, all Saints, Saints. Skin, All Saints Skin Clinic. And do they have a email address, Instagram handle, Facebook? How can people find them pretty easily? Uh, probably the easiest would be via Instagram, actually. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So it's just at All Saints or what, what's uh, Yes, at All Saints Skin Clinic. Perfect. Yeah, Great. that would be the easiest way. Thank you so much for your Thank time. You. You're very welcome. And your wisdom and your 
banter. Yes, it's good. <laughs> it's been awesome. We'll You're get welcome. you back. It's been to, a lot of fun. Thank to you. To talk about all dermal. things injectable. Yeah, no we'll doubt. Have dermal fillers at some point. So yeah. We'll... Yeah, well, we seem to cover off on yeah. dermal filler no, it's today. It's hard to just talk well. about one thing in a pigeonhole. It's all related, isn't it? Yeah, it is definitely. Yeah. Well, thank, thank you. you very much. Go You're enjoy welcome. the rest of your day. Thanks so much. Bye bye. For our latest news, upcoming episode information and mini video clips of our guests, you can follow us on Instagram at inside underscore aesthetics. We've also just started a YouTube channel called Inside Aesthetics and we'll be uploading more content and longer videos in the future.